0: Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos & Friends brought to you by Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. The Kawasaki Z900 is a really good motorcycle. Personally, I'm a fan. The Z900 with its inline-force screamer engine and excellent handling rides extremely well, especially on the street. However, it does have a few shortcomings especially if you have a penchant to take it to a track day occasionally. That's not to say you couldn't have fun on it. Of course you could. However, Kawasaki has released the SE version of the Z900. Senior editor Nick De Sena gives us his view of whether the fairly significant upgrades are actually worth it or not. In our second segment, editor-at-large Neil Bailey chats with Ducati aficionado and collector Max Nicholson. Max has owned and ridden many classic Ducatis, among them his very special Hailwood Replica MH900E. This was a hand-built, limited-edition tribute machine designed by the legendary Massimo Tamburini. In 2002, Playboy magazine cited the MH900E as the most beautiful motorcycle in the world. Only 2,000 were built over a two-year period max and Neil take time to chat about his various bikes and some of the interesting additions he's made to his version of the iconic mh900e we hope you enjoyed this episode so this is Kawasaki's
1: we'll say up spec model of the z900 it joins the the se badged family with a few extra performance parts and in the case of the Z900, it gains uh, a brand new Olin's S46 shock. So you get a hydraulic or sorry, not hydraulic, but remote preload adjuster along with uh, rebound damping adjustment. So it's not a fully adjustable shock, but a definite definite big upgrade from the stock unit on the base model Z900. You also get an upgraded, uh, show a fork fully adjustable and you know just to make it a little bit more attractive it is gold and as we know gold forks make everything better
0: so that's a scientific <laughs> fact and gold colored it must be good indeed
1: and really the main reason to upgrade the forks or perhaps not the main reason but a extremely beneficial side effect of upgrading the fork is that the bottom ends are now capable of accepting uh, radial mounted calipers. And to that end, we have a a set of Brembo M4.32 calipers. So it's not the latest and greatest from Brembo by any stretch of the imagination. It's definitely a caliper that we've known for quite a few years now, but it's an extremely reliable caliper and way way, way more stopping power than you would get over the standard uh, axial mounted brake system that is
0: found on the base model that we've known for a few years at this point. I'm excited about the shock because my experience of the Z900 is it's a good machine, but it's not great in any ways. I said, well, I suppose the greatness of it is it's very good in, in just about everything. But if I do have a criticism it's that the rear shock is a little soft so to go to an upgraded shock is is really very good. So I guess we'll we'll get onto to that in a minute, but how are you finding the the motor, are there any changes to that or is it exactly the same thing.
1: No, so if you were to compare a Z 900 se to the stock bike. Um, The first thing you'll notice, of course, is the suspension and braking upgrades that we mentioned before. And then the other thing you'll notice is that there is a $1,500 premium attached to the bike, but going to the, the engine, it's still the same 948 CC inline four engine. And what I've really enjoyed about this, this motor over the years, you know, since we first came to know the Z900 in, I believe 2017, um, you know, it's, it's it's not like your traditional inline four power plant. It doesn't have a peaky power band. It's incredibly linear, which if you really think about classic inline four motors, that's not necessarily how we'd describe those engines. You know, you do have some good low end torque. You have a huge mid range to play with, which is really useful when you're street riding, just commuting you know, doing your daily errands and things like that. And then when you actually get out into the canyons and start having some fun, you still have plenty of power to just scoot around without constantly shifting gears and things like that. And then of course, as it is an inline four, there's still a lot of top ends, you know, grunt to play with if you really want to wring its neck and, and get into it. Of course, you know, the other thing that they've done with this engine, you know, since we first met it, is that it is geared, I would say, on the lower end of the spectrum. So, that's how that engine can really get into its stride quickly. You get into the power band much faster, much easier. And while I wouldn't say it's anywhere near delivering the kind of torque that a, a twin would, it's not that sort of nothing going on below 5K sort of in classic inline four cylinder experience. That's not the case at all. But, you know, that said, this engine is incredibly versatile. And whether you're street riding, canyon riding, commuting or just slogging down on the freeway, you can sort of do a little bit of everything with it, which is what the Z900, if you if you look at that description, the engine, that sort of applies to the rest of the motorcycle as well.
0: Yes, I would completely agree with that. The thing I like about the engine on it so much is that it's well, firstly, is it's a screamer it produces power all the way to the red line. So although the total horsepower output of, I don't know, I think it's maybe 125 horsepower, um, does not, you know, it's not an exciting number to be able to tell your friends. But the truth of it is, is like you say, with the slightly lower gearing um, and the, the snappy power band on it, the bike is really incredibly responsive and it feels faster than shit, I gotta say. it it probably isn't but on the street where you know smooth riding and and picking lines and, and and so on is rewarded well the smooth throttle on it is is really good the motor feels fantastic to me I'm very impressed with it
1: yeah yeah and some of that excitement probably comes from the fact that it is geared you know relatively low if we compare it to other sport bikes in class and Horsepower wise, uh Kawasaki North America doesn't cite uh performance numbers. They do cite torque, but they do leave out horsepower. However, having, you know, this this engine has a history on the market. So it it has some data behind it. If you look at dyno sheets from it, you're gonna see anywhere from 113 to, you know, um upper into the, I would say like. Just shy of one twenty-ish, depending on where this dyno is. So it's kind of right, right in the ballpark with your MT09s, uh, uh, your your Ducati Monster, um, your eight ninety Duke R's, and eight ninety Duke. So basically, you know, in that sub uh, one thousand cc middleweight, quote unquote. Uh, naked bike class, it makes roughly the same horsepower, albeit it uses a different engine configuration mo- than most of the bikes in the class. But, um, you know, it's it's on par with everything there. Um, you know, sort of the other thing to mention too is that this bike, when it came out, you know, back in 17, it really had this mission statement of doing more with less and what I mean by that is it wasn't the most technologically advanced motorcycle on the market it came to market with basically no frills whatsoever so no ride-by-wire no cruise control you know uh, rider aids things like that it was your your bare bones box stock absolute pure motorcycling um, experience you know in, in in a market that's really become quite technologically advanced now, with the, the last update that the Z nine hundred received, it did get some ride modes. It got uh, you know traction control and et cetera, et cetera, and that's all very good. But um, you know, it still has a, a I, w- I don't want to say a true ride by wire throttle because it still uses uh, cables up to you know its throttle body. So there is some electronic management, but it's not one hundred percent there. Um, and even with a more antiquated system, you know, it, it does have a fairly smooth throttle, I, I would say. I would say that of the three riding modes, you have sport, road, and rain. Sport's the most aggressive one, but it really doesn't take it to the same sportiness that a, a thoroughbred
0: sort of super sport would. So it's still try, quite streetable, if that makes sense. It does. So, getting onto the chassis, the big change, as you say, is is or one of the big changes is the rear suspension. So, I'm very curious what you think of the handling.
1: Yeah, overall, I think that uh, you know the the Z900, its handling is is interesting, right? Because the bike is on the heavier side of the spectrum. If we refer to the spec sheet, its wet weight is going to be. you know, just shy of 470 pounds, it's something like like 468 pounds. So it is on the heavier side. And there is a very specific reason for that. We have to remember that one, it's an inline four-cylinder powered engine. So a little bit more mass, a little bit more going on, right? Then we have a steel trellis frame and, you know, a fairly simple aluminum swing arm, things like that. Um, And that's really kind of given it, at a baseline, even when you ride the stock base model Z900, I would say that this motorcycle platform requires a little bit more effort to steer and get on the edge of the tire than maybe some of its competitors, say like the 890 uh, Duke R, the Triumph Speed or Street Triple 765, and R and RS and all those iterations in the M29. Um, Now that's, I would say, kind of a, comment that cuts both ways, because it is incredibly stable, but it does take a little bit more effort to get on the edge of the tire. Okay, cool. What I didn't really dig about the base model is that the shock in particular could be described as a little bit soft. So what happens in those scenarios is as you get on the gas, you're exiting exiting a corner, a softer shock will tend to compress. It kind of loads weight to the rear Kind of extends that rake and trail a little bit and not necessarily makes you run wide, but it really hinders a motorcycle steering as you're trying to accelerate super hard because now you're you're altering uh, weight transfer and really biasing it to the rear. In this case, they've done a really good job in the sense that when you see Olin's branding and you know up spec show You know, things like that. What happens is you go, oh, okay, they're really going for that racy feel across the chassis. That's not the case here at all. They've still really honed in on the fact that it is a street bike first and foremost. So, yes, it does have more support at each end compared to the base model, but they don't take it to that step where it's not really a street bike anymore. If you get on this thing, first thing you're going to notice is that, yes, it is actually compliant. I don't want to say plush, but it's still quite comfortably sprung and damped, So it gobbles up potholes nicely. You still get feedback from the road and there's more support when you're braking. So as you, you know, really hammer on the brakes into a corner or when you get on the gas, it's just a far more compliant and poised motorcycle throughout, you know, its spectrum of activities. And on the shock front specifically, having that extra compression damping in the circuit really allows it to hold its its chassis geometry as you're getting on the gas so i think in that regard it does much better now the one criticism of that upgraded shock is that it's not fully adjustable however you do get the fancy remote preload adjuster which makes testing this thing pretty easy because as you're just riding around you can kind of crank some different settings into it But that said yeah the
0: the shock itself is a big upgrade as is the the fork that's good to hear my experience is that the bike handles extremely well at you know relatively uh, modest speeds but as soon as you start really wicking it up that's when when the the shock starts to show its weakness so it sounds as though this olin shock is able to maintain the bikes stellar handling even when you're at the outer edges of the envelope rather than just riding the bike in a in a more uh, sedate fashion shall we say yeah so uh that, that's really encouraging i mean that would that would kind of encourage me to to you know do track days on on this bike because the only thing that's kind of held me back a little bit from that is i'm just like oh the shock is not going to be you know the, as soon as i start getting getting quick on a track um the whole thing's going to be all over the shop um it's you know, weaving and wobbling its way around and the bike really isn't like that it, it it sounds unfair because the bike isn't like that the bike's really good um but I, I it really sounds as though this upgraded shock is going to give this bike a whole new dimension
1: yeah it's it's really Kind of pushed its performance envelope a little bit higher without detracting from its main uh, characteristics. So, although the Z nine hundred does require more input to you know uh, initiate steering and things like that, it is the proverbial motorcycle on rails. Once it's on the edge of the tire, it pretty much stays there and goes where you need it to go. You know, the only thing that's really going to get it out of shape uh, in respect to the SE is when you're dealing with some of those really heavy compression bumps at high speed and, you know, adding a bit of preload and rebound into the mix definitely helps settle that, but you're still fighting the fact that it is a motorcycle that's on the heavier side of the spectrum for this, this class overall. So once that weight really starts going in a direction, then you can feel some, some chassis movement. Um, but it doesn't happen anywhere near as soon as it would on the base model so the upgraded shock is something that you'll notice pretty much right out of the gate if you're familiar with the platform and what i want to reiterate is that they haven't taken it to that extreme where sometimes with up spec models that do get the beefier suspension can really detract on comfort in the name of performance and sometimes that's not a great compromise if you're only riding on the street, which is what Kawasaki assumes people are going to be doing the most. Now, I'd be happy to run this around a track. Um, obviously, that's not its intended purpose as most of the bikes in in this class uh, or bike, I can fairly say or all of them. Um, you know, they're all they would all be fun at a track day, but really, they're street bikes, naked bikes. That's what they're supposed to do.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And, you know, the shock definitely helps out. Again, the the sort of takeaway here is that it does lack the compression adjustment, which I'd really like to see, you know, especially at the price point that we're in Um, when this bike came out, it was just the absolute, you know, one of the best values on the market trading blows with the MT-09 in terms of, of, uh, you know, value, you know, uh, but the reality is, you know, this bike and the MT-09 are very different beasts um, and that's a subject for another day. But Go kind of going on to the fork, uh, since we didn't really hammer that, I did mention that it, it has more support in the front end. That is very true. Just right out of the gate using the stock settings. There's a lot more compression support, definitely some more rebounds in, in the circuit and things like that. And this all helps, you know, across the board. Again, it's not taken to that extreme, but because it is the SC model
0: and it gets the upgraded brakes, that's probably something we should mention next. Absolutely. I find the brakes on the bike again, it's a, it's a similar kind of story to the handling. Um, in In normal usage, the brakes are are really very good. I mean they're uh, they're very powerful. they have plenty of feel. They're excellent. They're great. But again, once you start getting towards the outer edge of the envelope, then, uh, it's it, it all starts to show its its weakness a bit. So again, I would imagine the upgraded brakes really takes that level and pushes it several stages higher. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, we should also note that uh, with the the four-piston calipers that it gets here, radial-mounted, and that's the big thing, that's the big benefit, you also get some snazzy steel-braided brake lines, which is, you know, nice touch. So overall you have the upgraded brake, uh, calipers. You also have an upgraded radial master cylinder and steel braided brake lines. So from top to bottom, it's an upgraded braking system in the front of the bike. In the back, it is, you know, the the same, the same components, but really there was never an issue with the rear brake. Um, I don't think anyone was riding the Z900 base model for the past few years and Complaining about the rear brake at all. The issue was, and just to kind of get into the nitty gritty of it, the standard model now um, uses axial mounted uh, calipers. So when you compare an axial versus a radial mounted caliper, the radial mounted caliper can exert far more force on its rotors, thus allowing more braking performance. Now, With all of those aforementioned parts, the new master cylinder, steel-braided brake lines, and upgraded uh, radial-mounted calipers, there's also another thing to mention. We have standard rotors instead of petal-style rotors, uh, which have the little cuts out of them. Fairly small distinction, and to be quite honest, I don't have much of an opinion there, but um, the braking performance, yeah, it's it's a cut above an axial setup, and that's just kind of, uh, I'm not going to say that's a night and day difference. It's not this life-changing sort of experience that, that makes me rethink every decision I've made prior to riding this motorcycle. But, you know, the reality is it is better. You get more attack, there's more braking power and there's more feel. And the feel is something that I think I would actually stick on to. Thinking back to when the last time that I rode this bike You know, at those lower paces, the axial setup and um, non-radial mounted cylinder on the stock bike, lower speeds, smaller inputs might not have that same sort of um, fine control. I'll say, as the the setup that we have on the SE, and you know that really helps whether you're doing some aggressive riding in the canyons or just trolling around at at parking lot speeds and you know if it helps at low speeds and high speeds i see that as a fairly significant benefit so right off the top you know you're talking about a fifteen hundred dollar price increase over the base model you get the suspension that we've already covered and said that it's doing a-okay and helps out the bike in a number of ways and now the brakes and if you think oh i can just get a base model upgrade well not so fast it does have different bottom ends, so you need to upgrade from there. And there's going to be complications with swapping out the front ends on a different bike already. And then you have the shock. And realistically, if you're buying an upgraded Olin shock, you're probably going to be spending anywhere from seven to twelve hundred dollars to begin with. I'd say seven is on the extreme low end option. It's probably more like eight to twelve hundred. Then you have the braking system too. So 1500 bucks for all that performance in terms of the hard parts, kind of doing okay, uh, in my opinion. You know, MSRP is now 10, 10, seven basically. But, so a lot of extra stuff um,
0: going on there. And we should also mention that it has a, a specific livery as well. It's definitely good value for money. And I think they're sensible upgrades. In my experience with brakes, a radial pump at the makes a big difference at the lever. Oh, yeah. Being able to change the, the ratios or the manufacturer being able to change the ratios. Radial master pumps have a lot more power and make the brakes feel a lot better. Radial calipers don't make such a difference at the lever. What they do help with is if you're in high pressure braking situations such as at a track day, they handle the heat a lot better the calipers can be made out of one piece of metal instead of two pieces that are bolted together uh, that expand at different speeds and and that sort of thing so radial mounted calipers make a lot less difference to the rider but they make a lot of difference to the performance of the brakes when they get hot
1: yeah and that reduces things like brake fade and you know it keeps braking consistency throughout your experience
0: whether you're cruising along or hammering them exactly so in other words the rider won't notice the difference of the radial calipers per se unless they're at the track and then it makes it makes a huge difference but in in normal riding the radial pump makes a big difference to the rider it's immediately noticeable yeah. and, a, and a big improvement
1: yeah of course you know the master cylinder is the thing that, that we interact with that's sort of our interfacing object we'll say to the to the braking system. So anytime you upgrade a master cylinder, go from a, um, a standard master cylinder to a radial mounted cylinder, uh, master cylinder, there is an appreciable difference,
0: even if you change nothing else in the system. Okay. So my, my one criticism of the bike actually in terms of riding position is the seat is one of these forward sloping seats. So if you're riding in jeans, um, you find yourself giving yourself a wedgie when you're when you're riding hard and uh it's sort of fairly irritating I, I, the bike isn't uncomfortable but it definitely has that sloping seat i rode the yamaha xsr 900 recently and it does not do that and it was actually a noticeable relief to me so have they changed the riding position or done anything about that
1: no not not from an engineering standpoint, you know, if you look at the spec sheets, and this may be just a, a spoof in the in the spec sheets from model year to model year, um, it says that the seat height here goes from thirty one point three inches on the base model, and on the SE we're looking at thirty one point five. Now, that may be related to the different suspension, because as we know, changing suspension can increase or lower ride height depending on which way that uh those bolt-on parts are going yeah, i would say that's a nominal change realistically this bike feels quite low and it is one of the lower naked bikes in the class so if you're a shorter rider this thing is something that you should actually be looking at or if you have a, a smaller inseam because it is quite easy to get your boots on the ground now talking about the seat specifically as far as i can tell it's just exactly what, what we got on the z900 so it still has some of that forward slope not as bad as the prior generation mt09 though but i do know what you're talking about and you kind of have that old school uh, i don't want to say classic ujm style motorcycle but you're sort of sat within the chassis you're behind the tank if that makes sense and you have some back swept bars which i i would like for my own personal taste to see less sweep just so you're not kind of elbows in but uh you know the with the forward sloping sleep seat that you have noticed what i would mention as well is the seat to peg ratio again we have that 31.5 inch seat height relatively low and on the upper half of your body you know it's a common sort of new leaning neutral riding position you know you have a pretty neutral reach to the bars you're sitting neutral upright, it's all pretty neutral. Now your legs can get a bit of knee bend if you're a a taller rider or just have a longer inseam. I have a 32 inch inseam, I'm sort of on the cusp of what I feel would be kind of working on this bike, but Kawasaki does add an ergo fit seat that is one inch higher. And if you're a taller rider, you know, 5'10", six foot above, et cetera, et cetera, then yeah, it makes sense to actually go in that direction. Um, and that, that's, that's sort of my only complaint about the
0: riding position directly. It's quite interesting that you mentioned the handlebar position. I can say that um, on lots of the forums, uh, if there's one com- consistent complaint that riders have is that the handlebars are not terribly comfortable. I have to say i found exactly the same thing in fact the handlebars gave me almost started giving me a sort of a a tennis elbow almost feel and it was basically because the handlebars were too far back and they were twisting because of the angle that it put your wrists at it would push your elbows in and and obviously put some sort of strain on them that i couldn't necessarily feel but on longish rides i would develop this weird tennis elbow uh, I did the old redneck cure of uh, rolling the handlebars forward a little bit within their mounts. So I rolled the handlebars forward about, I would say, probably an inch. Um, and what th- th- what that then did was spread my hands out a little bit wider and lift my elbows up a little bit. And it completely fixed the problem.
1: Yeah. And it is it is one of those observations that's interesting because... You don't really notice the back sweep until you start trying to ride quickly. Yep, um true. When you're when you're just cruising along and doing things in town, it's actually comfortable. You're sort of sat in the bike, you feel really connected to the chassis and everything's cool. When you start trying to get your elbows out, then that back sweep kind of keeps you in nice and tight. And that's what I mean by that classic Japanese motorcycle feel if you really think back to you know, bikes of the eighties and nineties and stuff, you know, a lot of bikes have those big, uh, I, I, don't want to say riser bars, but that's what they are. So the riser bars with a pretty hefty back swept, you know, sort of, um, profile to them. And that, that would kind of keep your elbows in a little bit and the sportiness of the motorcycle may not agree with that in certain respects, but it's also, really going to depend on the, the, you know, the dimensions of your body. I would say if you're a taller, lankier individual, then maybe that ergo fit uh, seat, one inch taller and uh, swapping out of the bars is a good idea. Um, and if you're a shorter rider, I think it's actually going to be absolutely spot on for you. Um, so it really depends. You know, there are bikes on the market that favor taller riders um i would say just off the top of my head the super duke r is an incredibly good sport bike for those that happen to be blessed with the the gift of height Uh, so if you're above six foot and you want to go and ride a gnarly super naked the super duke is a great option for you but you know that that's just that's just the way the uh, cookie crumbles sometimes. But yeah, I mean, overall seating position, I find it fairly comfortable. Um, It can be a little more cramped depending on your size and dimensions and what you're using it for. So, you know, factor all that into it. For me, you just kind of get that classic nestled into the bike feel, you know, just really reminds me of old Japanese, I say old, and I really only mean like 10 years old, but still, um really just mean older Japanese motorcycles where you're sort of sat in the chassis and you get that good chassis connection to the ground and you get a lot of feedback in that regard. So you're not sat atop something and sort of exposed to the wind. So even though it is naked, you're still getting a modicum of wind protection, which is something that other naked motorcycles in this class can't really claim. Um, but yeah, I guess the last... of thing to talk about real quick is the electronics and the most i can say about them is that you know it's a standard non imu based system so you have ktrc kawasaki traction control um the acronym doesn't actually match up with (laughs) what it is just it's an actual thing if you guys really want to look at it but whatever anyway um you know, so you have sport road and rain. Those are your three selectable riding modes. Then you have a customizable rider mode. So you can do full power, uh, engine map. Uh, there's like a full and a low power and then three different levels of KTRCs. And really I was riding on the road the entire time that I've had this bike. And despite the fact that it is a, you know, rudimentary, you know, electronics package in terms of ABS and traction control. Doesn't have in ABS, there's not lean angle sensitive, this and that, launch control, yada, yada, yada. I was never troubled with it in any way. I didn't feel that the ABS was prematurely engaging. I didn't feel that traction control was really holding me back. The only thing that track control definitely steps in for is if you try to hoist the front wheel upward. And at that point, you do just want to go to that rider mode and turn off KTRC because. The moment you start lifting the front end more than say maybe like six eight inches off the ground more than just like a a nice little power wheelie out of a corner, it'll step in. you can see the light flashing and you know you can feel it reeling in power um, exactly but it's not hard cutting you know, and uh you know it just sort of curbs power which is which is nice you know again not i m u based electronics, but street riding i I really didn't, uh, you know, find anything that I could I could fault them for. Um, so again, you know, these are these are the type of things that we really do uh, look for on bikes and want to test because just because something has an IMU doesn't necessarily mean that those electronics are going to be better. And in case in point, I would point to BMW's F900 series with the F900 uh, R and XR where it has corn in abs but it steps in pretty prematurely and i'd rather have not stepping in <laughs> yeah. prematurely than this you know than than stepping in pre- prematurely but anyway um yeah so overall i, I was super impressed with the z900 uh, uh SE. i think the upgrades here are well worth it for your 1500 bones and you know, if you liked the Z900, you wanted that classic sort of inline four feel, where it just revs up nicely. You get that that awesome induction howl, which is definitely something I forgot to mention before, because that's that's something that Kawasaki really does on all their bikes is focus on that visceral auditory experience. Then you get the upgraded suspension and brakes. It really brought the Z900 up to not only with the rest of the the naked bike class now, as we know it. Um, But I think it just elevated the package overall. For me, this would be the bike to get. Obviously, if you're not as concerned about performance, you want to save some money, you still want that extreme value, you're looking at the base model Z900 that barely breaks into the 9,000 realm. I think now, because of COVID pricing, I think it's up to 9.3,
0: 9.4, can't remember.
1: Either way. Still pretty cheap.
0: Yeah, the the biggest disappointment and the biggest noticeable difference between this and the and the Yamaha is, of course, uh, the quick shifter. The Kawasaki Z900 does not come with a with a standard quick shifter of any description. Um, I take, I take it the SE does not address that.
1: No, and I would say, you know, on the electronic side, yeah, that's what it's missing. It doesn't have a quick shifter, no auto blipper, no cruise control. Again that goes back to its age really got to remind ourselves that this bike started out in 17, didn't come with all that stuff back then. Um, And if we look at the rest of the field, the rest of the field has progressed quite a bit since then. And some of these other bikes have the benefit of just being newer. So they're using newer technology. The MT-09 was updated in 2020. The monster was in 21 the 890 duke r came out swinging with a whole host of uh fancy electronics right out of the gate albeit they are accessory options per ktm rules but (laughs) no it it has you know the ktm has a, a a quick shifter setup as well the bmw as well again accessory and uh i'm forgetting you know the bike oh these the triumph street triple 765 rs a uh, quick surf and an auto blipper there as well again some of these bikes are newer the street triple did come out around the same time i think that was 18 but more expensive motorcycle right out of the gate always was
0: so not quite apples to apples it's you know i think it's time for kawasaki to kind of up their game in the in the gearbox shifting area but other than that i would say this bike is it is a is a great machine that is being able to to ride at a, at a slightly higher level than just the, the the standard version
1: yeah and again it doesn't detract from its core mission which is be affordable be simple and be a good street bike and that's the thing that we always have to remind people because when you get into these up spec models or just models that have quote-unquote race track pedigree sometimes that detracts from the road riding experience And the reality is that's where we're going to spend 90% of our time on a naked bike. As cool as track days are, as much as we talk about them, most buyers are going to be on the street with these things. And that's where we really got to focus our, our assessment. And yeah, you know, that, that's something that I really appreciate with this, this upgraded suspension is that they didn't take it to that next, next level.
0: Yeah. It's a superb street bike and they have not, spoiled that in any way. Oh yeah, all right, good stuff. Hey, uh, thank you very much for your um, time and your uh, insight. Greatly appreciate it, as always. I will look forward to talking to you again. Cool, thanks. In our second segment, editor-at-large Neil Bailey chats with Ducati aficionado and collector, Max Nicholson. Max has owned and ridden many classic Ducatis, among them, his very special Hailwood replica MH900E. This was a hand-built, limited-edition tribute machine designed by the legendary Massimo Tamburini. In 2002, Playboy magazine cited the MH900E as the most beautiful motorcycle in the world. Only 2,000 were built over a two-year period. Max and Neil take time to chat about his various bikes and some of the interesting additions he's made to his version of the iconic MH900E. So Max, um, you know, you're sort of here tonight because you've got a bit of a problem,
2: really, haven't you? It's a Ducati thing, and this started when you were, what, about 11 years old with a small Honda?
3: Yeah, it started with a Honda, but before that it was a uh, moped, a 50cc pooch. I believe we called well, them. Well, we had a lot of those in England, so yeah, right. great little bikes. And um, and then it shifted to the Honda, um, and the Honda, I don't think my parents worried too much about it because the back wheel was blown out. All the spokes had pushed through the rim, and I took it apart, and I put a whole roll of duct tape on the rim to hold the spokes in, put it all back together, and it held, and I rode the hell out of that bike. So that was a little Honda 125 dirt bike? Yeah, like a little cross bike, yeah. Yeah, and you were, what, 10, 11? Yeah, now. probably 12, 11, 12 years old. And did your parents they they weren't real privy to the to that i kept it kind of off to the side and in the back in the playhouse in the corner and did my best to make it look as unrideable as possible but i was ripping it
2: so that was where you got the taste but then you sort of went into mountain biking and road biking pretty heavy duty right
3: road mountain bikes for probably the next probably 10 or 12 years yeah got into road riding a little bit of mountain bike racing with the bike source crew yeah uh, yeah. shameless plug and um Sometime around ninety, the late nineties, I saw the uh, monsters, and I was like, "Man, I gotta have one of those."
2: So you came back. That was the what the seven fifty monster dog. Right?
3: Correct, air-cooled. air cooled, air cooled, flat matte uh, tank, mm. matte mud guard, and uh, I rode it a little bit too hard, and may or may not have over revved it at some uh, track days in Savannah. And by over-revving it, I completely cooked it and uh, sent it up to BCM to have a big bore kit put in it.
2: So this is when the problem began. And that's when... Beginning of the end.
3: (laughs) And that was the uptick into the Farachi high pipes and the billeted rear sets. And I was kind of going backwards doing it all on a 750, but it helped me understand modifying Ducatis. And it went downhill from there, pretty much. I like it. I like it.
2: Yeah. So, when you, so you modded it you did track, did you do track days after it was built? Um
3: Yeah, I, I did, Um, and I did those with, you know, Jim Calandro and U.S. Desmond. Yeah, again,
2: these degrees of separation, I mean, Calandro's a great friend of ours, I mean, we've done his track days, the, yeah.
3: There's not a better place to go learn to ride on a track. I
2: don't, I don't think so. You don't think so? I think, I think U.S. Desmond was one of the best. what oh, I'm saying, they're,
3: yeah, yeah they're, the, 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 the track days are so, everyone's so helpful. The old birds help the young guys, mm. and it's, it's a great place to learn but started riding track days on the uh modified bike and then started finding my way into other ducatis and i I failed to mention to you earlier it was a 2001 996 that i had Uh, after the monster so i jumped to a 996 which is quite a significant jump up in horsepower and handling
2: and braking everything yeah yeah.
3: two valve to four valve bike can't believe i forgot about that bike we've Had the pleasure of going through so many, but... Yeah. um, That was my track bike for a long time, um, the 996. And then I started falling in love with the the vintage stuff. And that's when you went to the 900 SS? That's when I was... um, Looking at the cycle trader, mm-hmm. which for the young folks, that's where you used to buy motorcycles from.
2: Yeah, they were like newspaper things that you had to open, you had to go buy them, look in them and look at pictures. Right, and, and you so, couldn't enlarge them or touch on anything.
3: Yeah. And this, uh, there was an old, nine, like a seventy-six nine hundred supersport at a um, used car dealership in the back corner that used to belong to the owner. And I went up there and looked at it, and I offered a salesman fifteen hundred bucks for it and the wiring harness was ripped out and it had been modified for track use. It didn't have any of the instrument cluster, just a big old white tachometer. It was mm, beautiful. Mm, mm. And uh, that's what really sent me down the, the vintage hole was that. And it took me a couple of years to get it right with a handmade exhaust. Um, you know, they were a little bit finicky, those things, weren't they? I mean, absolutely. you had to do it right. Did you put big carbs, big pistons,
2: pipes, and stuff? Or did it you already,
3: that? it actually already had the the pistons on it, and it had I want to say 40, 40s, forties, weren't they? No forty twos. Oh, wow, the um, big carbs? Yes, and um, but it just took a while to get the timing right, and we tried an electronic ignition, we tried all kinds of stuff until finally we got it to go. Um, and that bike was heavy, and it was slow, slow. But on the track, when you you know when you were kept it at higher RPMs, it was a fun bike, and it was. Uh, reverse shift and GP shift, so I would bring my nine nine six to the track and I would go back and forth between the nine nine six and it and the seventy six
2: track yeah, bike. trying to figure out the foot and, and the and it would
3: take me a lap or two to to kind of
2: right so basically what Max is saying is, like on the older ones they were you shifted on the right so like with my lade it was one down and four up. Right. But yours was actually one up and four down you on the right hand side.
3: Crank it down to go faster yeah. on the track with the old bike. So and I don't was, know if
2: you guys have ever ridden a bike with a right foot gear shift. It is is really confusing. It'll
3: which foot to use. It'll it'll make you think. <laughs> yep. And so did I did just countless track days on that bike, and in the meantime I picked up some other earlier bikes.
2: Mm-hmm. So so you have and we won't talk about it tonight because we're going to hope you're going to come back later on but you've got a couple of 350 singles you've got a scramble and a ring, which are very old yes but you from the 900 supersport, what did you move on to there you started getting to more modern stuff yeah right?
3: i have. um i picked up a panta a 650 panta like an 80 i want to say it was like an 83 panta yeah. um not, not terribly well known in
2: this country i think the six fifties were.
3: right and it was really hard to find the last little bits for it yeah um yeah. but yeah not very sought after they they seem to be picking up some some steam in europe now i'm seeing a lot more people uh, restoring them because they're the other some of the stuff's kind of getting out of out of price point for a lot of people Mm. um gosh and around that time i picked up the the scrambler which is a 1969 350 scrambler yeah which is a
2: completely another realm altogether And,
3: and that's also a right shift but it's regular pattern and uh, the scrambler came out of a garage, I want to say, in New Mexico. So, yeah. it's got the chrome tank. It's what I believe to be the original squared-off tires. Um, but it's a cool bike. It's it's by far from mint, but it's mm-hmm. it's still you throw a six-volt battery in there, put some gas in it, and and and, and arguably anyone who's ridden a scrambler with the wide bars on them, I would I would say it's the most comfortable and best handling and riding Ducati that I, that I, I have owned or currently own. Wow. its It's got a kind of a banana seat. It is so fun to ride. It is such a fun motorcycle to ride.
2: So, moving on to back to your modern bikes. You, I'm trying to remember where we went. Where did you go
3: after the 900 SS? We, the, uh, around that time, I purchased a 1979 black and gold Super Sport. Which was the newer? Which was the the new gen? Well, it, no, that was not the S. What's that called? The S mod, The S. I forgot what it was called. It was the last of the bodywork that was true to the to the seventy style with the big windscreen. They started um, taking the bevels and putting a little bit more sculpture. Oh, so it
2: still was a vintage. Yes, yeah, still was, it was still like that
3: one of Calandro's. That was Jim Calandro's. Body, I got that, you. That I, he yeah. knew that I had this the the other vintage stuff and. Um and he, you know, always tucked in the corner of his garage. He's got like a Fozzie the Bear uh sheet over this this bike and he finally took it off and it was an F1. And and seeing one in person, I was like I've gotta have that bike. Mm. And that's when my my side quest always keeping an eye open, trying to find an F1, but we'll uh to that in a second
2: right so you got the 900 ss and clander then you sold that and what did you then is that when you came to the hailwood and
3: that's when um i came to the hailwood i got hit by a car on my 996 Mm. and totaled my 996 and broke me pretty well i've got a rod in my femur and i've got some hardware um to remember that crash which femur Left. Oh, I have three four-inch bolts in mine. There you go. I've got I've got two screws, the rod, right. two screws. When the same cut up. Got a got a plate in the ankle. Yeah, it was <laughs> solid. Good times. Um, so the 996 went on to greener pasture. Mm. Um, and about that time, I had you know been watching the Halewood, and you know, the story of Ducati selling these things over the internet. They were the first company to sell out an entire run of anything, like a vehicle-wise. Um, on the internet. They only made one or two, from what I understand, for a, one of the big motorcycle shows in Europe. And they had such a good response to it, that's when they said, we're gonna do a quick run. They're supposed to do 1,000, and they end up making 2,000. And there's, I believe, 400 in the US.
2: Mm. So quick quick backstory: Mike Halewood obviously was one of um, England's most famous motorcycle racers, and he came out of retirement from a GP career. And rode a Ducati 900 SS at the Isle of Man. And I think in probably around early 80s, they made the original Mike Halewood replica. Correct. Which was a replica of the bike he raced at the Isle of Man. And Correct. then in, what, 2002?
3: They did. They made this run of motorcycles.
2: Pierre to de Blanche designed a Mike Harewood replica replica. Correct. And that's the one you have. Correct. Okay, so that, that kind of takes us from childhood to there and about, what, seven seconds right and um, so you bought two of these really beautiful bikes in the studio we haven't had a bike in for a while so if you'd like would you tell us about the f1 in your own words maybe chat to the audience let us know what we've got they'll see pictures in b-roll so don't worry about i, I gotta it tell out. you
3: it is um this bike to me is just kind of the last of the like the true like race bike for the road from the the it's late 70s 80s where it's very stripped down, very purpose built. Um, you know, my one of my most favorite things about this motorcycle when you sit on it, the base of the gas tank is about maybe six inches wide. So at its narrowest point, where the trellis frame comes in before it goes back to the seat, it's just so narrow, and you can squeeze your legs all the way around the gas tank and tuck in behind the fairing. Everything has a purpose. There's nothing on this bike for for. For play or for, you know, it's all business. Um, most of these um, F1s were stripped down and raced in Battle of the Twins in the 80s. And so, so it's
2: hard to find an original one that hasn't been molested, basically. Correct. And mm. I mean, and
3: there's, and you can, there's a lot of race bikes out there. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to see these for sale. It's just there's so few of them didn't get hacked up for racing. Um, I, I went, we went to the uh, vintage festival in Barber. When Ducati was the well, was the marquee probably ten years ago, mm-hmm. and I brought that bike down, and I brought the Halewood down, but they had under under a tent. Vicky Smith put together a, oh yeah put together a great a, a great group. There was maybe twelve or fourteen F ones there, and then of course the the race F ones and the ones that up uh, the you know Santa Monica and the the special ones.
2: So this is a pretty special bike. I mean, real quick, top to bottom, the exhaust pipe is that original. It's a two into one. It, I mean, it, it's
3: it... a two into one. That is a race. That's a bub. Okay. Um, two uh, two into one, and it's for competition use only. You know, we all know on how that goes, that right? Um, has open carburetors.
2: Yeah, I gotta just jump in here, guys. I'm sitting here looking at the bike, and I'm looking right down into this massive, great bell mouth in the back of that. Delotto car, but what is the size on those car? Those are 36s, I believe. So pretty good size carbs for a
3: 750 air-cooled. Right. Yeah, yeah. Trellis frame. Now, again, the, the front rim on that guy is... Is that a 16? Mm-hmm. I was looking at those. So, yeah, because back in those days, they thought that was
2: cool, didn't they? The they, Pansos
3: they, had them. and Correct. And, mm. and, and I tell you, when you... The first maybe 15 or 20 minutes I'm on the bike, it turns in... It's just balanced weird. It turns in hard, and I'm a bigger guy, and it is a little bit of a smaller bike, so my knees are up a little bit. So if I start to go the wrong way, it's just it's just you know me trying to sit on a football. It's not the prettiest of things. But once you get warmed up, yeah. Once you get warmed up and get used to it, um, it's just it just sings. It's a brilliant bike to ride. It's not the fastest. You know, and I've I've done di- I think I did maybe one, maybe two track days on this bike, and I jumped back and forth between that and the hailwood. And I you know, it's just a little bit squirrely on the track.
2: Yeah, not quite as planted as something like the hailwood.
3: Correct. The suspension is original, so it's a little a bit, bit wooden. clunky. <laughs> and um and honestly, I usually don't have a problem with Crashing motorcycles, I don't want to, obviously. and I don't want to damage the bikes. But, you know, I would never want my bikes to be doorstops. Yeah. And so everything I've had or I've ever had, I've ridden. Now, there's been times where I had, you know, some things in the garage that I just couldn't. It was just, I was at a point where there's just too many things going on to, like, try and ride everything. So there yeah. was some potential for something to be a doorstop temporarily. But... Um, but again, back, back to this bike here, you know, everywhere it goes, it draws, especially Harley guys mm-hmm. and BMW guys. Um, it's just a special bike that just really a lot of people just don't see.
2: Beautiful. Well, I'm kind of itching also to talk about the hail uh, here because uh, this is not original. Correct. At all, right? So
3: I, I bought this bike in Charlotte from a pilot and uh, he's a lifelong Ducati guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he got on the waiting list. He did the whole thing. He got on the internet when it was dial-up, and you just kept having to, like, you know, this was early. This was, I think they sold them in, like, 99 or 2000 is oh, when, wow. when they actually sold them. And, and I might be incorrect. You know, you can uh, correct me in the comments. Um, and so he bought it, and he I'm 6'2". He's probably 6'4". 280 he's a big guy and he just wasn't it was he was too big for the bike yeah um it's a, it's yeah it's pretty cramped seat right um now it's a tall it's a tall bike mm. but it, it is a little bit crowded once you're once you're up into the riding position so so did he put the carbon fiber no he, he this did your... this was this was all um you know my vision for the bike um, it's all part of
2: this addiction, right? It was correct. It's like been going downhill, getting F1s, we're buying with replicas, now right. we're buying...
3: Um, and so... Brett's scoring carbon fiber after hours. Yes, Ooh. I'll tell you. But there, there is one piece that actually came from a shop in Japan, and at one point, I had Dave Collier, what do we call him? Basil. We naked. call him Basil. At, at one point, I had Basil uh, call Japan because he lived there for a, a few months, and he could and,
2: speak enough Japanese. Well,
3: he, no, he could not. I, I think he he may have claimed to be able to speak enough Japanese, but he, uh, we needless to say, we didn't get that deal done. And I didn't have the opportunity to get this one piece of carbon fiber from that one obscure company in Japan for probably five <laughs> or six years, Wow. Um, but back to it, I bought it stock. I just love the way it looked. I love the, the tail. Mm. I love the, the, the pipes sticking out the way they just the angle, the pipes are, I mean, so much thought went into designing this bike they designed the bike obviously the designer is just a wizard
2: oh yeah yeah he's a he's a wonderful human being and, too, and, and there were
3: and there were secondary things that after the bike was done and they put into production for example the bike has two batteries on it and when they finished building the bike from what i have read they didn't really have a place to put the battery that was not you know, it messed up the aesthetics of the bike. So what they did was they actually split the battery and tucked it up under the front fairing and they put a jumper over it. And you can see that there's a half battery there and the other half is on the other side. You know, little Crazy things like stuff, that. Crazy huh? stuff, Right. So I had the bike and I just, I, I just loved it so much. And it. Uh, I, I saw these, these carbon fiber kits for it and it was just really hard to kind of justify. And it took me a while to... Again, horse trade, you know, throughout this whole Ducati thing, I would sell parts after I took them off. I'm not one of these guys that has every single box wrapped up in a, wrapped up in the garage that go with the bike. I helped fuel this addiction by buying something, modifying it, selling, you know, selling something to to kind of kick this can down the road. But I was able to get the carbon fiber body kit and... I sent the bike up to BCM in Laconia, New Hampshire. So they did the motor. They did, and that's where we got to talking with um, Leslie Grossman at the time, who I think was the sales manager or GM. And um, he's like, you know, let's let's talk about this stuff. I, I think I know where to get one of these kits, and we've got good relationship. Let's talk about doing some stuff. So I sent the bike to him, and that's when um, we put a put a 955 kit in it um re, you know remapped it stay in tune system uh and then the big one was the carbon fiber wheels
2: the BST wheels the
3: BST yeah. wheels yeah
2: you know they just changed the data. my speed triple has them and i mean you just put them on and it's like holy boop, boop. Yeah.
3: Mm. it's really like the you know yeah ra- razor of a knife the edge of a knife rather did you um, did you polish the triple clamp yourself? No, that that was a design cue. So, so cue. it was the, the polished triple clamp, the back of the speedometer, mm. and you know they just they just got the details, the chrome, the little bit of polished aluminum around the headlamp, the 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 support. You know this was the precursor to the Sport Classic line. Yeah, without this. No sport classic. And Dave had a sport classic, right? He did. Yep. He may have had two. I think he had a. He had two at one time. Yeah. Um, well, mate, so I got to
2: tell you that thing is absolutely beautiful, and you really don't see. A you don't see a lot of the the new gen held up because, and to find a carbon fiber one with the wheels is perfect. So, we're going to let you get out of here. Um, thanks so much for. Thank you for guys. having me. Yeah, I hope sure. you guys really enjoyed that. We. Like having these Ducati addicts on the show, and you can see uh, this addiction has been working out quite nicely for yes. us today. <laughs> it has. And perhaps at some point uh, down the road, you would care to bring back the singles and sort of give us a. If any of you guys are interested in older sixty Ducati singles, that might be kind of a nice Be uh, my nice pleasure. Chance. Happy to do it. Thank you, Max. Thank you.